Good decisions come from experience. Experience comes from making bad decisions. Bad decisions make up a couple of good stories. If you're a regular listener, you'll know we've made plenty of shitty decisions in our time. On the other hand, we also gained an understanding of action and consequence. How to deal with folks in the big city. Some feeling for how the world actually spins. As a result of that, in the real world, people often ask us for career advice. Now, I can't tell them what to do, only they know that, but I can help them figure out what they know. This is because at the most basic level, what most of us need is just to refine our target. Then we need to put that target up on a wall and start throwing shit at it to see what sticks. One technique I use to help people focus is simply ask them what sorts of companies they most respect. Then I tell them to list these firms in a spreadsheet. Finally, to rank them in some sort of order of preference. On average, I'd estimate candidates can name two or three companies the first time I ask them this question. But remember, the financial sector is 10% of the U.S. economy. There are many, many firms out there. And so your first task is just that. Go out and make a focus list of where you want to build a career. Then refine that list. Now, if I was new on Wall Street, I might start throwing out names like Goldman, J.P. Morgan, that sort of thing. These are tier one firms, and good ones. But if you're early in your career, that's the wrong list. All things equal, if you want a job in finance, you should aim for the top of the second tier. Cowan, Evercore, Raymond James, Piper Jaffrey. Why? Because you're probably never going to move the needle at a firm like Morgan. And also because you have to fish in the best waters, where the opportunity lies. But this isn't a self-help podcast, so let's transition, as always, into a story. You be the judge whether it proves our point or not. During some recent travels, I caught up with one of my favorite colleagues. I'm going to call him Charlie. Charlie's mother was a stockbroker and started teaching him about the market when he was 10. Charlie was also fortunate enough to go to the same school as a senior executive at McDonald. McD was not a place to flip burgers, but a brokerage that has since been acquired by Key Bank. He pitched the firm on an internship and got a foot in the door. Eventually, he was hired for a full-time position and assigned to cover the Southeast, because back then there were no important clients in that region. Took a $20,000 commission pad and turned it into six hundred dollars in five months. By the age of 26... He's the head trader. So, how did he get there? I don't think even Charlie could tell you that. But he might venture that it was by making small-c conservative choices. You see, Charlie's next-door neighbor worked for a bulge bracket and had a TNA budget close to $2 million a year. One time, Charlie went around to a house party of his and saw cups of cocaine on every table. Hookers all over the show. Everyone is doing drugs he's never even seen before. Later in the night, he walks into a room and a bunch of women are trying to put a football up one of their friend's vaginas. He thinks this is pretty funny. Eventually, the night regresses to dirt bikes and fireworks. The next morning, he wakes up, and it's like Jonestown in the living room. Bodies lying everywhere. He packs his shit right up and leaves for his hometown to get married, put his head down to work, and stay out of trouble. Two years later, head trader. Isn't that a nice story? Our hero sees all the bad behavior going on, avoids womanizing and drugs, chooses the path of light, and goes out and achieves success. But having written that, I realize that's not necessarily the point I wanted to make. 
Charlie's experience, while instructive, proves nothing other than he's a good example to his overachieving children. No, we need another leg to this stool. So let's shift gears again. I've recently gotten into jujitsu, and unfortunately probably spend an equal amount of time talking people's heads off about it. Easy enough when you're blabbing away to someone in person with a beer in your hand. Harder to put into writing. But doing hard things can be constructive, so let's try. I train three or four times a week, which is as much as my body can handle so far. I also started to study it, and recently listened to a podcast where Lex Friedman interviewed an American hero named Dan Gable. Turns out he has a book. That seemed interesting, so I bought the book. What I learned is, wrestling is hard. As a competitor, Dan Gable's goal was to train until he collapsed unconscious. He never achieved this, even though back then they deliberately keep the athletes away from drinking water, make them endlessly climb ropes, run miles in bad shoes, that sort of thing. Later, as a coach, one of his students was so devastated at losing a match that he tattooed the school mascot tearing out his own heart. So, yes, grappling with people is difficult. That's why it's meaningful. Fighting is intimidating. Yet, on a primal level, all of us thrive on violence. Jiu-Jitsu reconnects us to that in a controlled situation. That's why it helps with one of the most common problems in life, which is anxiety. It teaches you to find comfort in uncomfortable situations. The ability to solve problems with potentially bad consequences under stress. In my mind, the worst part of fighting on the ground is in a position called half guard. In half guard, your opponent is on top of you, and all you have is a single leg of theirs trapped. It's a miserable place to be. Unlike other positions, you have very few ways of submitting your opponent. Instead, it's seen as a more transitional phase. In theory, the way to transition out of half guard is by getting your free leg up as a knee shield and then to charge in for a sweep. On the other hand, perhaps it's a better idea to be more defensive, to maneuver your way back into full guard. And that is the essence of jujitsu. It comes down to a series of 50-50 decisions with immediate real-world feedback. The narrower the margin of error, the better you're doing. One observation I've been able to make is the better you breathe, the better you're doing at jujitsu. Breathing is the one thing everyone can do that is mastery over self. Once you learn how to control your oxygen intake, you can ramp yourself up or bring yourself down. You can understand your own headspace, an important step to understanding proper technique. For instance, if something feels like a life or death decision, all you should do, as always, is stay calm and try to come up with a counter move. There's always something to do because jujitsu and life is a complex puzzle that will never be solved. So yes, jujitsu comes down to training and patience, but how is that different from every other thing? Jujitsu keeps you honest. It allows you to stop worrying about things that also don't concern you and dedicate yourself to things that matter most. It compels you to face your fears, requires you to connect to another human being, and forces you to face the consequences of your decisions today. So, that's my advice. If you're worried about what's next in life, the first thing you should do is make the mental physical, and the physical mental. Exercise will help you do that while also being a metaphor for life, a metatask, a path that teaches you to be accountable and humble while still being brave and tenacious. Everything you want to know about your career and your life and yourself is somewhere to be found in jujitsu, if you're brave enough to look.